Glad to be with you this morning. Did you know that life itself is just a process of growth, isn't it? I mean, there's growth everywhere, and I think that's what I find encouraging about the cycle of the seasons and of, of the leaves changing. It's a process of growth. And I think that's what life is all about. I mean, if you think about it, things that are alive grow, don't they? And you see it dramatically in little lives that are, are very young and very new. But from the moment that a child is conceived, he begins a process of growing, doesn't he? And he, he's growing for the next 40 weeks and it all ultimately will culminate in his birth. But does he stop growing in his birth? I hope not. Generally, that's when you really begin to see the little guy growing and taking off like crazy. I mean, it's at that point that he's really just getting started, isn't it? Your little baby boy, I think of Stephanie and Daniel here, and I'm looking at little Atticus, and I think that this little guy is just growing like crazy. And do you know that he's going to continue to grow for the next 18 to 20 years? Physically, he'll be getting taller, and he'll be growing for the next 18 to 20 years. His little brain will continue to grow and develop until he reaches the age of about 25. In fact, the typical male will continue to develop muscle mass until he's about 30 years old. So it's a process of growing. He's continually growing. And for the rest of his little life, he's going to continue to develop through a process of intellectual, psychological, and emotional growth. He's never going to stop growing. That's just the way it is. Sequoia National Park is home to a tree known as the General Sherman Tree. Have any of you heard of the General Sherman Tree? Do you know what that is? It's known as the largest tree in the world. Best calculations estimate that the General Sherman Tree is approximately 2,200 years old. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's just amazing to me to consider that this tree has been around for that long. It's a claim to be the world's largest tree when it's measured by volume. It stands at 275 feet tall. 275 feet. At its base, it's over 102 feet around. Its diameter is more than 36 feet at its base. Imagine that. It's just an enormous, it's a massive tree, and you know that it has not stopped growing for the last 2,200 years. In fact, every year, the General Sherman tree continues to grow. It continues to add wood. It continues to add leaves to its already huge mass. In fact, every single year, it adds an additional 40 cubic feet of wood to its mass. Imagine that. Every single year. And yet, when I think about it, I'm always amazed to think that this huge, massive tree, thought to be the largest in the world, grew And started from this tiny little seed. Isn't that amazing? When you think about that. And yet this huge, massive tree, the largest in the world, every year continues to grow. It continues to grow. It continues to mature, even at the age of 2,200 years. Friends, can I just tell you something? The same principle of growth also applies to spiritual things in the body of Christ. It's important that we know that. This same principle of growth applies to you right here in the body of Christ. In fact, this is the point of ministry. This is the point that I believe is the most important role of church staff and church leadership. It's important for you to know this. 
Your church staff and your church leadership do many other things, but it is supremely important to do this one particular thing. And I'm going to share with you what it is. You saw it last year when we were in the book of Ephesians. And if you'll take a look at chapter 4 and verse 11, this is what Paul says about the role of your church leadership. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to do what? To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Now, why do we need to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry? Look at the next portion of the verse. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be what? Children. And I'm going to just stop right there. That's the point, my friends. Pastors, Teachers, evangelists, youth leaders, children's leaders, music and fine arts directors, board members, life group leaders, women's leaders, men's study leaders, all ministers serve to equip the people of the church body to do the work of the ministry so that absolutely everyone who has been entrusted to their care may grow spiritually. It's supremely important. In fact, aside from the salvation of each individual believer, the number one most important thing to everyone in the body of Christ is individual spiritual growth. It's a sign of life. John Stott wrote a book that he titled Basic Christianity. And I want to read to you what he says in this book. He says, the great privilege of the child of God is relationship. His great responsibility is growth. Everybody loves children, but nobody in his right mind wants him to stay in the nursery forever. The tragedy, however, is that many Christians born again in Christ never grow up, he says. Others suffer from spiritual infantile regression. Our Heavenly Father's purpose, on the other hand, is that the babes in Christ should become mature in Christ. A birth must be followed by growth. Do you know that that's true? We must be growing. We must as individuals, we must as a body be growing. Friends, I just want to share with you something. One thing that I find very discouraging and maybe even disappointing in my own life is to see Christians who have never developed or grown in their faith, and especially if they've been at our care here at Root River Church. My greatest fear as a church leader is that we would be a church that is not growing. It's nice to experience a level of numerical increase. I confess to you that I do want to see that. But you have to know that that is always secondary to our desire to see spiritual growth and spiritual wellness. Friends, we need to be a church of spiritual depth. We need to be a church of spiritual growth. We need to be a church that is growing and is thriving and is producing new wood and is producing new leaves year over year over year. And I want you to know that the Word of God gives every Christian all the tools that he needs to grow. And so if we're not growing, it's not because it's something that has to happen. It's not because we have reached a point of such maturity that there's no room for us to grow. The truth is that if we are not growing, it's because we are disobedient. Does that seem fair? Do you know that Peter says growth is not an option? 
Take a look at verse 18, chapter 3. This is what he says in 2 Peter. He says, but grow in the grace and what? The knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an imperative. This is one you've seen so many times before. The present active imperative. He's saying, be continually growing in the grace. Be continually growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be continually growing. Friends, we are to be continually growing in both biblical knowledge and the practical knowledge as God works His will through His people, through the lives of the people right here at this church. The easy times in your lives, the difficult times in your lives, and even the COVID times in your lives are to be used to help you grow spiritually. The difficulty, the things that you're facing right now are to help you to grow spiritually. You are continually growing. You will never reach the ultimate state of spiritual maturity, which is perfect Christ-likeness. You never get there until you see Him. But you continue to grow. You continue to work toward it. And it always reminds me of Paul. I just love this. Here's Paul, this great image of spiritual maturity. This great strong man in spirit. And even 30 years after he had been converted, he wrote to the Philippians, and this is what he says in chapter 3 and verse 13. He says, Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, I forget what is behind me, and I strain toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. He was still growing. That's what Paul is saying. I'm not there yet. I am the one who's written so many letters in the New Testament. He's written such a large portion of our New Testament. He's seen so many things in his life. He was mature. He was a rock. He was steady, but he was still continuing to grow. He had never quite made it. He was still reaching. Can I tell you that in your spiritual life, there's just no room for neutrality. In your spiritual life, there is no room for complacency. You are either growing, you are either pressing forward, or you are spiritually regressing. Did you hear that? Now, with that in mind, I want to take you to the book of 1 John for a moment. I want to show you some of the benchmarks along the road to your spiritual maturity. Let's take a look at chapter 2 and verse 12, and this is what John says. He says, I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of His name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. And I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who was from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. So in that passage, you can see that there are clearly three phases of spiritual growth. There are three of them, and I want to just show those to you this morning. And I want you to know that it's important for us to notice that here in verse 12 when John says, dear children, he's speaking of believers. So he's not talking to actual children. He's talking about believers, those who are beloved in Christ. He's talking about Christian converts who are immature in their faith. That's what this passage is about. And how does he refer to them? He refers to them as babies. He refers to them as infants. You know, it's interesting, and I think probably most parents would acknowledge this, but I can remember when my kids were toddlers, it was... um, easy to see that children tend to lack discernment, don't they? Have you noticed that? 
Kids lack discernment, especially when they're really young, and they don't always know what is good for them, and they don't know the things that are not good for them. Have you noticed that? In fact, when children want a snack, you don't have many of them that run to the, you know, run to the refrigerator looking for carrots and broccoli. They're probably not going to do that, especially if there's a package of cookies that's open on the counter, right? They're going for the cookie because it tastes good. It may not be best for them, but that's what they want they, because they just don't know what's best for them. You watch little toddlers, you watch little kids, and they walk around their homes and they're picking up absolutely everything. And what do they do with it? Where does it go? Right in their mouths, right? That's how they discover things. They pick them up and they shove them in their mouths and they begin to chew on them. And sometimes they swallow things that they shouldn't swallow. And they're exploring every area, no matter how dangerous it is. They're touching this and poking at that. They're shoving this in their mouth and that in their mouth. That's why you have to baby-proof the house before your kids get too big. See, the problem is they're not yet trained. They don't know enough to recognize trouble. Listen, friends, spiritual infants... People who are either new believers or people who have been believers for years and who have refused to grow up, they lack that same kind of discernment. They don't know what's good for them. Did you know that? Consider that. They lack discernment. And the book of Ephesians calls us to maturity. It calls us to be at a place of spiritual discernment. And so then as believers begin to get a little bit deeper in their knowledge of God, as they begin to mature from child, from childishness into a, a lower level of spiritual understanding or from a lower level of spiritual understanding to the higher level of spiritual understanding, then they begin to mature a little bit, right? And they begin to understand things a little bit better. So how do we know those who are spiritually immature? How do you identify people who are spiritually immature? Well, this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, then we will no longer be infants. And what is an infant? An infant is tossed back and forth by the waves. They're blown here and they're blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. That's how you identify a spiritual child. They just don't know. Spiritually immature people lack discernment. They're tossed around by slick teaching. They are confused by people who teach wrong things about the Word of God. And when they do hear the truth, they're unable sometimes to submit to it. Do you see? They're unable to submit to the truth when they hear it. And that's the problem with spiritual infancy. It's a lack of discernment. It's a lack of discipline. They believe wrong interpretations of the Scripture. You see, it's easy for false teachers to seduce spiritual babies by appealing to their senses. They like the way things feel. They like the way things taste. And so they're very appealing to them. And so these slick teachers will appeal to them and seduce them by appealing to their sense of emotion. That's why it's so important that new believers get into a place where they'll be properly fed and protected. That's why it's so important that they get to a church where they're going to be properly trained because all they want to do is eat spiritual junk food. That's what they like to do. It's the biggest problem with being a spiritual baby or being spiritually immature is a lack of discernment. They'll take anything and they'll believe anything. But do you know there's also something that's really cool about infants? A new parent always wants to hear the baby's first word. And what do you want it to be? You want it to be dad, right? Baby's first word should be dad. And even though young children don't yet know, even though they may not understand a lot of things, they know and they recognize their parents, don't they? Have you ever heard a little baby crying? Much like Atticus out there. 
He's giving mom the business out there right now. But it's interesting that when you take a little baby and a stranger or maybe a family member is holding the baby and he's crying and crying, when mom or dad walks into the room and takes him, there's just the soothing that happens in this little baby, isn't there? There's just this sense of calm that usually comes over the little baby when, when mom or dad has him. You see, the little baby recognizes his parents, even a young one, because it's their parents that provide them food. It's their parents that provide them protection and comfort. They recognize the voice of their dad. They recognize the voice and the touch of their mother. They know as spiritual babies, that the Lord is the source of their new life, but unless they are properly cared and properly trained for, they're soon going to lose the joy of their salvation. Did you hear that? Spiritual babies, if they're not properly fed, will soon lose the joy of their salvation. Friends, hear me. It's great to be excited about salvation. It's great to be excited about a new convert and about the fact that Christ has given new life, but it's not enough to just sit there and be excited. You have to grow. You have to grow up. As believers continue to grow, they then, of course, mature beyond spiritual infancy and they reach the next level of maturity that John calls young men. They're the ones who have overcome the evil one in chapter 2 and verse 13 of 1 John. And what he's saying is that we can reach a point as believers, we can reach a point in our spiritual growth where we have overcome the evil one and we daily see the results of that in our lives. I want you to to just think about that for a little bit. Soak that in. Listen, as believers who are becoming mature, you must be the one who has overcome the evil one, and you must see those results played out in your daily lives. Consider that. Satan is still going to prod you from time to time. He's still going to use the self-centered world to tempt you. But as spiritually mature people, He cannot force you to do something that you don't want to do. Did you hear that? Satan will not force you to do something that you don't want to do. He can't force your behavior. But he wants to use every tool that he can to keep you from becoming mature. He wants to use every tool that he can to keep you from having an impact for God. And the only way for you to be strong enough to overcome Satan is for you to be strong in the knowledge of the Word of God. The only way for you to be strong enough to overcome Satan is for you to be strong in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, John says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And why? Because the Word of God lives in you. It's alive and it's active. And when you reach the point that you're a strong young believer, you're probably still going to sin from time to time. I want you to know that. It doesn't mean that you're not a strong believer because you struggle with sin. You're still going to have temptation in your life. There are still going to be points of temptation, but you will know the Word of God well enough to recognize bad teaching. You will know the Word of God well enough to identify sources of temptation and to fight them off when they confront you. Do you see? And as Christians mature, they begin to understand the Word of God. They begin to know how to not only hear the Word, but to do it and to apply it when they walk out the door. 
And then as they begin to develop discernment by asking the right questions, their theology starts to take shape and they begin to understand. Now listen, the more they understand, the more they end up wanting to discuss Scripture and theology with people who are more advanced and more mature in their spiritual life so that they themselves can become stronger. Do you see that? That's what it means to grow into maturity. It's a matter of knowing the truth. We gain spiritual muscle as we study and apply the Scriptures to our lives. And friends, I want you to know that if you're not applying the Scripture to your life, you're not exercising your spiritual muscle. You're not growing. It's not enough just to hear it. You have to apply it, and you have to gain spiritual muscle just like you gain physical muscle by going to the gym and hitting the free weights, right? I mean, that's that's what I do. What are you laughing at? (laughs) It's true. It's not true. I can't lie to you. We need to be strengthened. We need to grow. It's not enough for us to be babies our whole lives. And no matter how much you grow, there's still room for growth. And I want you to know that there's even beyond that another level of maturity. There's this thing known as spiritual fatherhood. And this is the level at which the believer has a sense of real depth, a real sense of rest and spiritual peace and spiritual depth. The waters flow deeply in that man's life. Have you ever known anyone like that? I've known some people like that. And the reason that they have that depth is very simple. John says it's because they've known Him through who is from the beginning. That's what John says. But I want you to understand that when we're spiritually mature, we have a deeper knowledge of God. Knowing God more intimately involves things like having lived enough to have experienced answered prayers. It's having been a believer long enough to know that there's no doubt that God's got this under control. It's experienced enough trouble in your life. It's having been around long enough to have seen enough suffering in life that you can really begin to embrace the fact that God has always been there for you. You've seen enough to know that God has always been there And you've seen enough to know that no matter what, I can count on God sustaining me and comforting me. I've seen that in the life of my dad. He's seen enough difficulty that he knows. God is going to be there and he's a great father. And he's a great spiritual father. Because you know what he does with his experience? He shares that with me. He says, son, I've seen this in my own life. And you can be sure that God's got a handle on it. You can be sure that God is strong enough to care for it. It hasn't missed His eye. He's been through enough to know that God's not going to forsake him. And he knows enough to know that God is not going to forsake his children. And there's just this certain character. There's just this unexplainable depth to a man like my dad. To those people who really know God. Isn't that where you want to be in your relationship with God? Have you known those people in your lives? And isn't that really where you want your relationship with God to go? And there is a key to reaching that level of maturity. And I want you to understand that the thing that gets you there is that you understand the importance of obedience to Scripture. You have to understand the importance of obedience to Scripture. I want you to, if you, if you don't take anything away from this morning, but one thing, take this away. The level to which you obey God and apply the Scripture to your life is the level to which you will become spiritually mature. 
the level to which you obey God and apply His truth to your life is the level to which you will be spiritually mature. You see, the problem is that many times we think that we're mature when the truth is we really don't obey. We think we're mature. We think we've got a handle on it. We think we know the Word. We think we know a thing or two. But we don't obey. And it's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of the fact that you're a little toddler who just says no every time he doesn't get his own way. But spiritual maturity is a process of moving from infancy to fatherhood, and it will only happen as you learn to walk in the Spirit and obey God's Word. It's the only way that you're ever going to get there, and that's the real path to maturity. Don't tell me that you're a spiritual leader. Don't tell me that you're spiritually mature if you don't apply and obey the Scripture. If you don't obey the Word of God as it's taught to you, don't tell me that you're spiritually mature. It's a sign that you're not. Those of you that know me well know that one thing that really troubles me in today's church is the number of people who are more concerned about experience than they are with a deep knowledge of the Word of God. I'm concerned that more people are drawn to good marketing than they are to good teaching. I'm troubled that more people are concerned about spiritual expression than they are about spiritual growth. And I think as a result of a well-marketed gospel, the church is filled with people who aren't growing spiritually. And I believe as a result of a well-marketed gospel, the church is filled with people who don't understand the Scripture. And they don't know how to apply it to their lives. And they don't know how to obey. And they don't know how to grow. You've heard me say many times over the last four years that I'm disappointed that many people in church leadership prefer to have a church that is a mile wide and an inch deep rather than have fewer members in attendance who are spiritually strong. People who get caught up in empty teaching, people who get caught up in euphoric expression, find themselves completely unable to cope when life gets difficult. They've completely missed the path to spiritual maturity. They throw out spiritual platitudes. They say spiritual sounding things, but they have absolutely no idea what they're saying or what they mean. They've completely missed the path to spiritual maturity. Friends, listen to me. The only path to spiritual maturity is not only knowing God's Word, but obeying it and submitting to it. That's it. Paul wrote to Timothy in second letter in chapter 3, he told Timothy, from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as you look at this passage, I want you to know that this passage, probably more than any other passage in the New Testament, outlines the power of God's Word to transform you to a place of spiritual maturity. Timothy was fortunate enough to have heard the Word of God from a very early age. Those of you who, uh, who know New Testament well will know that his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice taught him the Holy Scriptures the Word teaches from the very beginning. So Timothy cut his, you know, he's, he's one of those people who cut his teeth on a hymnal. He's one who had heard the Word of God many times. And that's what led him to salvation. It was the fact that his mother and his grandmother taught him the Word of God. And I want, ladies, I want you to notice that you don't ever see mention of Timothy's dad here, do you? It was his mother 
and his grandmother who taught him the Word of God. And I want you to know, because they taught him the Word of God from a very early age, and they taught him the principles of the faithfulness of God from a very early age, he had been led to salvation. Friends, it's important that we teach the Word of God. There are people who attend church regular, uh, regularly, and maybe you have even have people in your own family who are just dabbling around the edges of Christianity. They're only dabbling around the edges. And I want you to know that a steady diet of Scripture will ultimately arm them with the wisdom they need to find salvation. That's what Paul says. It'll prepare them to find salvation by placing their faith in Jesus Christ. Parents, listen to me. If you have kids at home, teach them the Word of God. I don't mean that you have to sit them down every morning at 6 o'clock and beat them over the head with a Bible. That's not what I'm telling you to do. But parents, if you have kids at home, teach them the Word of God. Bring them to church where they can hear it preached and they can hear it explained and they can hear it taught to them. Teach them at home. You don't have to be an evangelist with a well-planned four-step presentation to your children. Give them the Word of God. Just keep it in front of them. Read devotions together. Talk about the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of God every single time He gives you a chance. Talk about it. Tell them how great He is. Tell them about His majesty in creation. Use every opportunity to tell the kids how great God is. Keep the Word of God in front of them. Do you know why you need to do that? Because it's got the power of salvation in it. That's the key to salvation. There is the power of salvation contained in the Word of God, and through it, they're going to learn that salvation only comes through genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And so the very first work that Scripture does is it brings people to a place of salvation. The truth of Scripture, when it's mixed with faith in Jesus Christ, leads people to spiritual life, and you need to do that for your kids. 2 Timothy 3.16 also tells us that Scripture is useful for teaching. And the word here translated useful is the Greek word ophelimos, which you also have seen probably translated as the word profitable. It's a word that is supposed to give, I want you to get this, a sense of completeness, a sense of comprehensiveness. So the idea here is to tell you that Scripture is able to completely meet the need of uh, the spiritual need of the believer. And that's why we have to teach it. In a world where there seems to be so many gray areas, the Word of God helps us to see that black and white do still exist. It's a tool that we can use to get to understand God's mind. It's the way for us to understand His truth and His principles and His law and His requirements and His commands. And all of these things are absolutely foundational for healthy Christian living. It's only through the Word that spiritual things can begin to make sense to you. It's only through understanding and applying the Scripture that you can progress through the different phases of spiritual maturity. That's the goal. Scripture makes you mature and it makes you strong. It transforms you from one level of glory, one level of Christ-likeness to another. From glory to glory to glory. From infancy to strength. From strength to maturity. From maturity to peace. You see, when we train people up in the Word of God, we equip them to face difficulty. If you're in a place in your life where you feel you may be on the verge of losing a battle of temptation, you can draw on your knowledge of Scripture. You can draw on your knowledge of the faithfulness of God to help you respond in a righteous and godly way. Maybe you can recall a time when you were facing a major trial. 
and you saw your understanding of the Word of God just kick in and take over. Have you ever been there? And it guided you through some difficult times. Maybe in the loss of a loved one, you saw the Word of God kick in and your understanding of the Word of God engage and take over and help you through a difficult time. But I want you to understand that it doesn't matter how deep your understanding of Scripture is, God still trains you in other ways as well. So I thought about that tiny little seed that hit the ground and began to take root 2,200 years ago. Think about that, 2,200 years old. As I thought about that little seed that hit the ground, I considered all the life that the General Sherman Sequoia has lived. I mean, it was born a couple hundred years before Christ was. How much do you think that tree has experienced? How much life do you think it's experienced? I'm sure it's seen many warm and sunny California days over the last 2,200 years. I'm sure that's true. But do you know what else I think that tree has experienced? I think it's seen a lot of severe thunderstorms. I think that it's probably seen a lot of heavy snowfall. How many forest fires do you think it's seen? How much air pollution? How many animals do you think over the last 2,200 years have scaled up the side of that tree and climbed around in its branches? It's seen some really beautiful days for sure but it's also seen some pretty rough times over the last 2,200 years. It's probably seen drought. It's seen torrential rain. Yet every day, the General Sherman tree digs its roots a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper. Every year, it continues to produce a little bit more wood, 40 cubic feet every year. Its leaves are still green. It's still growing. Well, friends, I don't know about all of you, but we had a, a good time at Life Group on Friday. Did you guys all have a good time? As part of our conversation in Life Group, we talked for a little while about the impact that COVID was having on our lives, and we spoke of the isolation. Some people spoke of the feeling of loneliness. A couple of us had the opportunity to speak about its impact on the church body right here at Root River Church. The obvious things like the effect of of social distancing and masks during the worship setting. A couple of us have actually engaged in conversation about how other people's behaviors have impacted some of the other, uh, some of the rest of us here in the church. But we're seeing some things right now, aren't we? May I encourage you that what you're seeing is a thunderstorm right now. Recently, we've seen matters of racial justice, politics school policies, and even the economy, you name it. You know all the things that are out there dominating the news cycles and casual conversation right now. We've seen a sharply divided nation, and I believe that in some ways that division has even migrated and made its way into the church. As I consider all of those things and all of the things that each of you are seeing day after day as you go into your workplace, as you live in isolation, whatever it is, it makes me think again of the sequoia. You see, I truly believe that all of the things that we're experiencing right now are thunderstorms in your spiritual lives. And they're snowstorms, and they're droughts, and heavy winds. But I believe that the church that is filled with believers whose roots are dug deeply into the Word of God will be strong enough to weather those storms. I truly believe that. I believe they'll be strong enough to endure the chaos 
and to remain standing while the weaker trees topple. They're believers who are toppling as they go through this difficult time right now because they're immature and their roots are not deep enough. I want you to consider that. There are people who are toppling because their roots just aren't deep enough. There are probably people who have have been believers or would tell you that they've been believers for many, many years, but they've never grown up. They've never matured. They've never submitted to the Word of God and allowed it to shape them and to prune them and to help them to grow. And as a result, storms like what you're going through right now, the storms of the trouble of life are causing those trees to topple. But I believe that it's times like this where we receive training through the proof of God's character. And what I mean by that is this isn't going to last forever. Soon we'll come out on the other side. And it's my belief, it's my conviction, that when the COVID and the racial dust settles, when the political smoke all clears, we're going to look back and we're going to be able to bear witness to the faithfulness of God. I want to encourage you. I know that Many of you are going through difficult times right now. And I want to encourage you that right now you need to be digging your roots deeper. Because it won't be long that it'll be over and you'll be able to look backwards and see the faithfulness of God in your life. And you'll say, you know what? It was during that time that I really saw my roots dig deeply and became mature and became at peace in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness to us. I thank you that no matter what, we can always count on you. I pray, Lord, that as there are many people right now who are going through difficult times, that you would bring encouragement to their hearts knowing that God's faithful and that this is going to be a, a point of their lives that they can point back to they can look back to and they can say I know that God is faithful because he saw me through that difficult time Lord I pray that you would strengthen the body of believers right here at Root River Church I pray that you would prepare each of us here to do the ministry of strengthening and building up and making stronger all of those around us. And I thank you, God, that you care that even in our lowest points, you're still with us to pick us up and to encourage us and to give us strength. We give you glory for your goodness and your faithfulness and ask your continued blessing in Jesus' name.